If you will uh, turn to Mark chapter 4, we're going to be there this morning. And uh, I want to back up just a little bit before we continue on in Mark chapter 4. Because I think one of the most important things that we can do as we study the Bible is to really figure out who Jesus is talking to. And if we don't know who his audience is, if we don't know what they're like, if we don't know uh, how they're thinking, if we can't kind of get behind the scenes of who he's talking to, we'll have a really hard time understanding uh, the text and the passages and what what he is saying. So uh, today, Jesus is talking primarily to the 12 disciples. He's, He's teaching them. Uh, kind of some of the deeper things of the kingdom. He's trying to help them understand uh, what the kingdom is, is about. And, and so that's a, that's a hard thing to do. So he's using parables uh, uh, to do that. But I want to look at who he's talking to. And kind of, if we kind of jump around in scripture, that kind of labels the people that he's talking to. And I think that we'll find ourselves in that same place. So uh, if you want to follow me on your outline... That'll probably be the easiest thing to do. So if you pull your outline out uh, at the top, we'll go through that. You got that on the way in. And instead of flipping all over the place, just we'll just go through these. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples, and we're going to look at kind of what they were like and some of the other people that followed Jesus. In Matthew 15, um, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this. He replied, every plant from my heavenly Father has not been planted, will be pulled up. By the roots, leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind leads a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus says. Now I, wanna, I can promise you, are you still so ju- dull is not going to show up on a coffee mug? It's not going to show up on a t-shirt. It's not going to be on the next Restore Community shirt on the back. that says, are you still so dull? But he's talking to them and it's like, finally, Jesus is just like, listen, I've been teaching. And this is Matthew 15. So we've got a couple of years into this thing. And Jesus is like, do you just not get it? So do me a favor and just write dull next to that passage on your outline. Just write the word dull. If you don't know how to spell it, well, then. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about you. Um, okay, so Mark 9, Mark 9, because, you know, as we read through scriptures, and as you maybe sit here on Sunday morning, sometimes you're just like, I just don't get it. I think that's what he's talking about here. Mark 9, here we go. Because he was teaching his disciples, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and he was in the house, and he asked them, what were you, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So Jesus is teaching them, listen, I'm going to give my life for the salvation of the world. I'm going to, I'm going to, my body's going to be broken. My blood's going to be spilled. All this stuff. He's teaching them all this stuff. And on the way, while he's teaching this stuff to them, they're talking about who's going to be number one. Have any of you ever felt 
And it just becomes true that you think you're better than you really are. Has that ever happened in your life where you're like, you know what? I thought I was better than I really, and it just didn't work out so much. Next to that, just write ego. Next to that, Mark 9, just write ego. We have, sometimes our ego gets the best of us, and in these disciples, certainly that's the case. And in Luke 8, uh, jump down here. This is a passage about, some of it at the end we see, where some women are taking care of Jesus. Uh, they're paying the bills for Jesus. And I think that's a great sermon topic that we should talk about sometime. About the women paying the bills. I think Brandon should do it soon. And, uh, but Luke 8, 2 says this. And also some women who had, had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene. From whom seven demons had come out. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. You ever find yourself thinking, I have a really questionable past. I have some regrets in the past. I mean, this lady who has been hanging out with Jesus, Mary Magdalene, do you know she was at the cross with Mary, Jesus' mom? Her past was full of seven demons being driven out of her. Do you know who Jesus revealed himself to when he came out of the tomb, when he was resurrected, that we can tell, that we know of for the first time? Mary Magdalene. But she has a questionable past. Just write that next to that verse, questionable past. Keep going here. We're going to tie these together. Luke 9, 49 says this. this. Master said, John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. He's saying, look, this guy is not in our club. And, and they're, they're beginning just to, to press down and, and squelch and to box in the Spirit of God. And Jesus is like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And it gets even better. 9, 52 uh, through 56 says this. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into Samaria to a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was headed for Jerusalem. When the disciples... James and John saw this. They asked Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. Just right next to those two passages, don't get it. They just didn't get it. Jesus is loving. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is driving out spirits, calling sinners to hang around him. And they get to a place and they're like, hey, you want to just blow this place up for you? (laughs) That's exactly what I've been teaching this whole time. And they just left. I think Jesus was embarrassed. Let's go. In Acts 4, last verse that describes those that, uh, that followed Christ. Pretty simple. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And just circle, just circled unschooled and ordinary. That's who these, these people were. You know, and I find that interesting because Luke wrote Acts and what he's saying about, about Peter and John, these people. He's saying these, these guys were just unschooled, 
ordinary people with questionable pasts, with big egos. They didn't get it. They were impulsive. They were all these things. And Jesus is going to teach them these kind of people about what the kingdom of God is about. And Jesus wasn't looking for the religious, the sophisticated, the educated, all that. That's not the kind of people that Jesus was looking for. That's not the kind of people that he called to himself biblically. He's looking for just ordinary people. And it's like as I'm reading this and, and we look at this today, it's like God's saying, Jesus is calling all of us in this room just ordinary people. People at times that just don't get it. People sometimes that we're, we're clueless about what's next. We're, we don't understand about exactly what's going to happen next or, or whatever it is. We're just ordinary people. So go to Mark 4. We'll look through our text, and, and I want to look at it through this, these eyes of calling people that are really just like us. Just people that are struggling to figure it out, struggling to know exactly what it means to, to follow God. I think some of the context in this passage is, see, because the religious mindset in this day, um, a Jewish mindset in this day, not even just Jewish leaders, but the Jewish mindset was the Messiah is going to be somebody that comes and shows up and takes over Rome. A lot more militaristic, a lot more aggressive, a lot more powerful. That's what they thought was going to happen. And that's not what Jesus did. And he's going to teach us how the kingdom of God works and how it transforms us and how it transforms our city. And we can look back in history and we can see how it was done in this. And that's what we're going to do today. So Mark 4, 21 says this. These are four little parables in a row. Do you bring, or excuse me, three. Do you bring a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on a stand For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you missed a couple weeks ago, uh, this ties into a lot of what we're, this whole thing we're going to talk about, it ties a lot into what Austin Evers taught uh, two weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that message, it is excellent. He, He talked about the parable of the sower. And the bottom line is this, and the echo from that teaching is, is that if we want to live repentant, transformed lives where we receive what God has for it and we live that, it is going to be hard. It's going to be a difficult thing. It's not a a simple thing to, to live deep. And what Jesus is saying here with this whole life thing is, it's so easy to hide the light. It's so easy to live with uh, just a suppressed truth in our lives and, and, and a, our, our lives get pressed down. It's so easy to do that. But it's a whole nother, nother kind of way of living to, to disclose and to, to live in the light and to live with some kind of authenticity in our, in our lives. And I think what Jesus is beginning to do with his disciples here is we kind of get to the middle of Mark and we start talking about resurrection what, what, and, and the cross and the road to the cross and all that. He's talking about what does it look like to go deeper? What does it look like to be the people that take the extra step? What does that look like? Because I think as a church, especially one like ours, that is so outward focused, is it is, it's really easy. We can find ourselves in this, especially the older we get as a church. It's easy to sign up for a Restore Weekend 
and do a project once a quarter. It's easy to say, well, I'm going to go to my restore group, and that's where I'm going to get community, and that's where I find that. It's, I'm going to go to church about every other week, and I'll, I'll get that there, and then I'll uh, read Scripture and pray, and I'll do that when I can, and we can easily compartmentalize our lives with Christ. We can easily do that. We can have all these compartments and all this kind of stuff, and, and it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to fall into that kind of trap. And I... And we can become so event-oriented with our lives. So it's kind of like this. So for me, that's where I can be easily, especially as a pastor. And so I'm, I'm in this midst of struggling, like, how do I break out of that? How do I break out of just doing the things and, and really living, really setting, my, setting the lamp on its stand, letting it do what it needs to do? And uh, one of the ways we're working on this is through Kids Outdoor Zone. If you don't know what Kids Outdoor Zone is... It's a ministry where we work with uh, boys and now girls. We have KOZ Pink, okay? That means the ladies are involved there. Uh, the KOZ Pink, there's no dudes. And so, and so we've got KOZ Pink and we've got KOZ. And, and so we deal with, with kids and work with kids that don't have active dads in their lives. And so we're working with that. And now we're figuring out we're working with, with single moms, and so we're kind of figuring out that KOZ, we do it once a month on the second Sunday, Saturday of the month from about 8 to 1. And we do fishing and hunting and canoeing and camping and just all kinds of awesome stuff. And, and we teach the Bible through that whole uh, day and, and we do all this kind of stuff. But what can happen with KOZ, just like anything that's good, is it can become an event. And so now what we're realizing is we have all these boys now that are coming to this event, this deal on Saturday. We're realizing, you know what? We're only seeing these kids once a month. I mean, how much impact are we going to be able to have just once a month? And so now we're like, what we need to do is take that extra step because not only do we have these, these boys that, are, that don't have dads, but we have single moms out there. What do these moms need? How can we engage these these boys and, and begin to get in their lives on a weekly basis. And we have all these awesome men leading this ministry. And how can we say, what relationship do you have? And what relationship do you have with these kids? And how are we going to go out and, and mentor them? And so it's not just an event, but it's, it's a lifestyle of, of intentionally mentoring kids outside of the event. And we take that uh, to, to the next level. And I think it just runs into this whole idea of, of we got to fight just good things. We have to fight just doing good things. I mean, it's so good to do Restore Weekend, but isn't it true? And a lot of us have done this where you go and you do Restore Weekend and something happens in your life and you're like, I, I want to press into that further. I want to do more of, of that. I want to get involved with, with these kids. And then you, you take it uh, to that next level. You know, that's exactly, I think that's what happened at Jackie's. We meet here. We put carpet down. We paint walls. We've painted, done all kinds of stuff all around this building. And we've offered all kinds of help to do whatever we can for this school, not for us, just for the school. How can we help the school? And then all of a sudden, all that stuff happened. And now we're going to a whole nother level with the school. With Trey being on the, the board uh, of this of this school, and now we, we realize that there's 12 foster kids in this school that we're going to be able to engage and mentor, and they've opened the door for us to do that. 
but it took us having to move all our stuff out <laughs> and then move all of it back in. And it was on the TV and all, I mean, just like a fiasco, right? And then all of a sudden we're like, I mean, now I have more peace about the fact that we're here than ever. See, because God is now taking us what? To a different level. He's taken us to a deeper level of commitment uh, in this place. If you'll flip over your outlines on the back, we're going through this. Let me just say, deep kingdom transformation requires us to take the extra steps. God changes us when we take those extra steps. God moves in us when we take those extra steps. Let me share a little story about a guy that is constantly taking extra steps in this church. And uh, so he he's a firefighter, but as many firefighters, they have... They do firefighting, and then they do other jobs, you know, in a couple other days that they have off. And uh, so this guy would deliver medical equipment. That would be beds or whatever. And he showed up at this apartment over uh, off Decker Lane near where they do the rodeo in Austin. And he just goes in. He's just doing his job. He's delivering some medical equipment. He walks in the door, and the, the people there, they're handicapped people. And, and so he's helping them out, doing all this kind of stuff. And he uh, begins to develop a relationship with them, talking to them, and he, Basically, long story short, the, the handicapped man looks, looked at uh, this guy and said, Hey, uh, we want to get married, and we love God, and, uh, but we don't know how to do that because we're, we're stuck here. We don't have a church to go to. We, we don't know what to do, uh, but we want to be right before God, and we want to make our marriage right, all this kind of stuff. And so, uh, so Mark began to bring them to church, began to walk down a road with them. And uh, that happened in January. They had an unbelievable wedding that was planned by a firefighter that had no idea how to plan a wedding. Straight up. Like, what are you doing, man? And so he's in KOZ Pink now. And uh, so I'm just kidding. He's really not. But, I mean, it's just like, what happened? I think that's what this is talking about. I think that's what the kingdom transformation is about. He took the extra step. He didn't just sign up for a project. He didn't just show up at community group. Like he misses our group a lot. But he's, it's because he's so busy doing all these, these things. Okay, so Jesus now transformed. And he's going to tell us what the kingdom is like in these next two passages. And he's going to use a seed to illustrate it. And the first one's pretty quick. Mark 4. 26 says this, and he also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. This is a cool picture. It's like he plants seed, he takes a nap, and all of a sudden he wakes up and he's like, how did that happen? And it's grown and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I want to personalize this a little bit. Uh, and I want to talk about the seed because that's where it starts, right? This guy, so he throws out some seed, right? Now, I want to make the seed come alive just a bit. So we've got this seed, right? Everybody see the seed? No, because I don't have one. But just imagine, I have a seed in my hand. Okay, so there's a seed, right? We got seed. And what if that seed was like, you know what? I don't want to not be a seed. I'm going I'm I'm to remain a seed. I'm going to just be, I, I've always been a seed. I don't know anything else but to be a seed. 
And the truth is, is if I quit being a seed, it's going to hurt. Because I'm going to break open. It's going to be inconvenient. And then my whole, everything that I am right now as the seed is going to be totally transformed. And it's going to be totally outside of everything I've ever known, everything that's safe for me. I'm, I'm the seed here. Right? But what he's saying is that this seed, when it goes into the ground, it says, I'm going to give up being a seed. I'm going to stop being a seed. I'm going to stop being about me. I'm going to be broken. I'm going to be inconvenienced. I'm going to be transformed. And then all of a sudden, what happens? Growth takes place. And a harvest comes about. That's what the kingdom of God is like. But it starts with something really small, right? So I think so many times we think, well, the way I can't wait for the big thing to happen. And God's like, well, the big thing is just a seed. That's the big thing. And within that seed, everything is there that God wants to create and do. And by His Spirit within us, God starts within us and He grows out of us to see transformation not only in our own lives, but, but in the lives of those around us. You know, I, I think if there's anything that I remember, when I was 18 years old, I was so sick and tired of John Church. I mean, I was so at the end of myself, of just living my own little seed life, right? How pathetic it was. And I was so glad that God showed me how pathetic it was, right? So that I could be about something so much bigger than and myself, but the amazing thing is, is once you decide I'm not going to be a seed anymore, there's no turn. You can't go back, and that there's it just God begins to work, and God begins to do things, and God begins to to move in us. And so, the second thing today is living in the kingdom of God requires surrender. It's a point of surrender. There's got to be a surrender about us in, in, in how we live our lives, and it's not just this one time big deal event kind of deal. It's, it's a daily surrender. And in our lives, in our marriage, in our work, in our parenting, in our whatever, constantly being surrendered. And, and we have to be a people that are marked by surrender. But the kingdom starts with something small and something that sometimes in our own minds can seem insignificant. But God takes those small things, the things that we think are insignificant, and he'll make those things big deals. He'll make those things work in an amazing way. All right, so the next passage we're going to talk about is the mustard seed. And uh, before we read it, I think we just need to get some historical, some context around this passage and, and what it, it is about and what it's, it's teaching us. And Because uh, like I said, one of the main arguments with... Uh, in the Jewish mindset in that day was we've got to get rid of Rome. And they couldn't stand Rome. They, they hated Rome. They wanted them to be taken out and all of that. And so Jesus wasn't doing things like they would do them. And so he was hanging out with sinners and he was uh, releasing people from demonic spirits and he was calling sinners and he was he- healing paralytic people. And so they were like, Okay, that's really cool stuff, Jesus, but that's not what we're, we need. What we need is for you to blow Rome up, okay? We need you to do something a whole lot different than what you're doing. And so they just disregarded the, these religious people. Obviously, they disregarded because they killed him, okay? But they didn't like what, what he was doing. They wanted a massive event. They wanted all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is talking about seeds. 
Jesus is talking about these little things, and it's amazing what happens with that. So Mark 4, again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch on its, on its shade. With similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So he's saying, hey, listen, the kingdom of God, it's, like, it's a slow work. It's this little tiny seed that's going to go into the ground and it's going to create this big, huge tree. And all the nations are going to come to it and sit on it and have shade and, and all this stuff. And so let's talk about how this works historically. When Jesus was resurrected, when he uh, ascended uh, into heaven at that time, there were probably about 500 believers that were following him. About 500. Um, and Jesus, to those 500, says, I want you to go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's telling them this. This is what you're going to do. You're going to go into all these places. You're going to go into to not only Jerusalem, where you're from, but you're going to go into the neighboring cities and the Samaritan, the country you don't like, and to the ends of the world, and you're going to make disciples. Isn't that what Jesus did? That's what he said, right? And so then what happened? Jesus said, well, go right for right now, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to hang out there. And then what happened? Pentecost happened. And the Spirit of God came, poured out His Spirit on them. They were empowered. Total transformation in people like Peter, uh, just like living a total different life. So God moved, all this kind of stuff. And then what happened? They stayed in Jerusalem. That's not what he said to go. And they stayed, okay? And so then what happened? So they're living in Jerusalem. They're doing life in Jerusalem and all this kind of stuff. The, the kingdom is growing. We know that in one day, two, 3,000 people came you know, to know the Lord. The church is growing, all this kind of stuff. And because of that, they get resistance from the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and what do they do? They kill Stephen. Right? And so Stephen is killed, and then what happens? There's unrest in Jerusalem, so people are nervous about being in Jerusalem, so then they go, they go on and they move into Judea and Samaria. Okay, so God moves them out through Christ's situation, and then in 70 AD, okay, so several years after Jesus was, was resurrected, ascended, all that kind of stuff into heaven, he, he's gone. And they're there 70 years. And J the Jewish people just kept picking on Rome, picking on Rome, getting up in their grill in their face and telling them, ah, So finally Rome's like, man, we have enough of you. And they just leveled Jerusalem. So now any Jewish person that's in, certainly in Jerusalem or in Judea or in Samaria, they begin to, to move out, what, to the ends of the earth, right? Because God said, I want you to do that. Well, if you don't do it, I'll just make you. <laughs> I'll cause things to happen that, that make you feel uncomfortable. So 70 AD, let's just say by 70 AD, there was 10, 15,000 Christian believers in, in the Roman Empire. Okay? You can track this by history. By 180 AD, there were 100,000 Christians. Okay? So in 100 
years, about 100 years, we see massive growth in the Christian church. This is all in the Roman Empire. By 250 AD, there were a million Christians in the Roman Empire. Now check this out. Between 250 and 350 AD, by 350 AD, there were 30 million Christ followers. In 200 years, two, 300 years, there are now half of the Roman Empire are Christ followers. And so, some people think, well, Constantine changed the whole, the leader of the Roman time and, and basically made Christianity the, the government religion, the state religion, right? I think Christianity took it over and he didn't have a choice. Why? Because there was a seed planted at the cross and at the resurrection in Jesus. And the Spirit of God came and moved and did something in the hearts of people. And it changed the world. And he did it through who? Ordinary, unschooled, dull, slow people. That's how God works. That's how he works. So the great thing is, is none of you in this room, not one of you is unqualified. Not one. God wants to use you. And it's, that's how he works. Through something as insignificant as a little seed. God puts it in us. God puts his word in us. So what does this mean for us? I think the first thing we have to admit and just live with is that we aren't as far along spiritually as we want to be. We aren't. I mean, I, I wish I knew more. I, mean, I wish my relationship with Christ was better. I wish I had more understanding. I wish I was wiser. I wish all those things. And I think for most of our lives, we're going we're gonna to feel that weight of we want, uh, we want to be further down the road than we are. But I think there's something dangerous that can happen, and in, in, in certainly in segments of the church and denominations are created this. So, um, and I'm going to generalize a little bit, and it's not fully all that way, but to some extent, it's there. Is you know, so there's certain denominations or brands of Christianity that's in the world. So you've got the Pentecost. So, well, it, you know, the reason you're not further along spiritually, well, because you need to be have a second baptism and have a spiritual language or whatever. Or the Bible Church says, well. If you just knew theology more, or you just read more, or you just memorized scripture more, you did those things, well, then you would understand. Or, you know what? It's all about worship and about music, and we just need to sing more, louder, longer. And if we just worship more, then God's going to show up and do something. Or, you know what? It's all about mission. Man, we got to go. We got to get into the world. In fact, our church last Sunday, no one was even there because we were in Japan and Korea and everybody's all over the world. And so, I mean, so you can just compartmentalize it all, right? And say, well, if you just had this and it's the, if the, this one thing would happen or, or whatever, but it doesn't ever seem to work out. Like if that one thing happens, then it just happens. Because I think sometimes, especially as Americans, we want our walk with God to be like a five-lane road. Like a freeway. But it's not. It's like a dirt path. It's like a dirt road. Of a long walk. But what's it marked by? It's marked by a God. Who says I'm going to be with you. 
I'm going to walk with you and I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you no matter where you are. And no matter what mistake you made, no matter how many demons you got in you, no matter what, whatever it is, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a faithful God and I'm going to take those little things that have happened in your life and I'm going to make them significant. I'm going to work through you in, in a great way, in a significant way. I want to end with this. This last little point of your outline says this. We live in a country where just the knowledge of Jesus is prevalent and tolerated, yet passion for Jesus and transformation because of Jesus is rare. And I think the main reason why transformation in the church is rare is because we're not willing to wait for it. Because it's a slow work. God's work is, it's a, see, we don't want to wait and be a part of a 300-year process to turn Rome, Rome upon its side of its head. We want it to happen like that. But God's work in us is a slow deal, and He's a faithful God to use us and to move in us, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our schools, in wherever we are. Let's pray.